Hello. Hi, friends. And welcome back to this podcast called Mysteries, Murders, (laughs) Monsters, and your moms. We're the moms. I'm Julie. I'm Nicole. And it's fucking, it's cold. It's really, really really cold. cold. And because of said coldness, that big gushy air that you hear in in the background is the heat in the pub where we are sitting. And it's keeping gonna, us warm. Yeah, it's probably going to kick on a lot because it's only 25 degrees outside. Yeah. But no snow. This is the part about Pennsylvania that pisses me off the most is I, I personally, I like winter. I'm cool with winter. I love winter, but I only like winter when there is snow. I want to be able to go snowboarding. I want to be able to go outside and go sledding with my kids. But when it's just fucking Arctic frigid, cold, and there's no snow, it just makes me angry angry i'm the opposite i'm sitting here like watching the forecast like praying every day that there is no snow yeah no i want snow because if there's no snow then what's the fucking point of winter um that i have to survive it to get to spring (laughs) but like you know what i mean like no see so so snow means dangerous walking conditions at work snow means having to deal with hour two hour delays and school closings snow means Fid days. Snow What's means a fid day? flexible instruction day. Oh. <laughs> Snow means all of these things. Snow means, oh, you have this thing on this day and these people are coming and you're traveling and now they can't and we have to reschedule. Snow means problems. Uh, see, I don't like none of that bothers me. I just but I hate the cold without this. And like, look how ugly it is outside. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It just it's just so dreary and usually I like dreary but like when it's sunny and you want to go outside but then you remember that you know the moment you go outside your whole body freezes and you're like nah I'm good nah I'm good that's all I just like I just like snow snow and then the other shitty part about this weather lately is because it's been warmer and it's been rainy and wet um like our local ski resorts can't keep up with the snow making mm-hmm. and so they close and then you can't do anything and i think it's gonna get warm again this week probably because you know we're slowly moving to i don't know virginia style winters i yep, don't know basically so i'm moving that's it i'm moving you know i'm gonna say the same thing to myself as i say to people who like bitch about winter in pennsylvania then move somewhere where it's warmer I'm going to move somewhere where it's colder and get snow. <laughs> you know, um, taking my own advice. So this week we have one story because last week's podcast was Hardy Hardy. And so... This and week, I also fell down an internet rabbit hole and <laughs> am not prepared, so... For a minute I thought you were going to say, and I fell down. I'm like, you fell down? No. <laughs> not literally. Not figuratively. Not recently, anyway. Oh, God. <laughs> and hopefully not anytime soon. Oh, I gotta turn myself around. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So this one kind of goes with the story I did last week. We talked about Aleister Crowley, who was a famous occultist, and we're going to do the same thing this week and you know after i did this i was like mm, is she really an occultist but i guess she kind of is so i'm just gonna go with it because i already wrote it and now i'm gonna tell you about it <laughs> <laughs> and the title is called the madam is in and my theme for january is the occult so it seems 
And then, you know, last week we discussed one of the main men of the occult. Now let's talk about one of uh, the more prominent female spiritualists. And uh, she was born. Oh, man. Okay, so I love that I do stories about these people who have these really, really, really intricate names that are not English. And then I get to attempt to pronounce them and sound like um, a jackfruit. Uh, so a jackfruit? I sound like a jackfruit. <laughs> what does a jackfruit sound like? Um, Helena Petrovna Han von Rottenstein, because, you know, ours are rolled, although we didn't roll the second one, was born on August 12th, 1831 in Yekaterinslav, <laughs> uh, nope, what if I say it really fast, Yekaterinslav, yes, which was uh, then part of the Russian Empire. However, uh, Russia at the time was using the Julian calendar, going back to calendar days. Oh, yeah. Which actually, which puts her birthday as July 31st. Now, that would fucking suck. Like, are, when, like you'd be like, well, what, when's my birthday? Like, which one of these is my birthday? Uh, yeah. Maybe oh. I would just celebrate two birthdays. I was going to say, you yeah. get two. Yeah. This is my second 40th birthday. Um, so at the time of her birth, uh, there was a cholera epidemic, and it was thought that both her and her mother would die soon after birth. However, they did not. Yay! Her mother was the daughter of a princess, Princess uh, Yelena uh, Pavlovna. Oh, fuck. Why did I put this in cursive? <laughs> uh, Dolgor Yukaya. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. We all know who that is. Her mother's name was Helena Andrevena Han von Rottenstern, who was 17 at the time of Helena's birth. The fuck. Her father was a captain in the Russian Royal Horse Artillery, and his name was Peter uh, Alex, I don't know, Alexevich. There we go. Han von Rottenstern. God damn these names. Why? Ugh. You know, I really missed out naming my children wild shit because we could have brought this back. (laughs) No. Mm -mm. And he was away at war at the time of her birth. Her family was heavily um, aristocratic, and thanks to her father's career, they were rich as well. Her early life was filled with travel to many different countries, and eventually her mother would die in 1842 at the age of 28 due to tuberculosis. She did have siblings, uh, and then her and said siblings were raised by other family members. Dad wasn't always in the picture, probably because he was in the military, if I had to guess. I don't really know. And according to her, she found personal belongings of her maternal great-grandfather, who had been initiated into the Freemasons in the 1770s and belonged to the Rite of Strict uh, Observance, which I don't know what that is because I don't know anything about Freemasons really other than that if you're a woman they don't let you in at least not that anyway there were also rumors he met um alessandro Sotro, who was an italian occultist associated with creating the egyptian rite for the freemasons and it is all he also says that he met the count of saint germain do we remember (laughs) the count of saint germain listeners And if you don't, find episode 39. That's where we discuss 
the Count of Saint Germain, who may still be in New Orleans. No, right. you, nobody knows, you know, because vampires are clearly possibly a thing. Like, don't know how that works, but yeah, whatever. And around this time is when Helena claims to have had her first experience. According to her, she stated that she started having visions of a mysterious Indian man. And then she would later meet this man in life. And at the time, she believed that she was seeing one of the masters in her life. Now, I said Indian because he is from India, not an indigenous man. Like <laughs> that I made sure I clicked like I'm like, okay, what what? All right. So her travels would take her to many exotic places and she would meet more Freemasons and her experiences would become more would become more so. And when I say experiences, I mean all the kind of like supernatural things that are happening to her. So um she would have more visions of the man that I mentioned and she would start uh astral traveling as well. Do-do-do-do. When she was 17, for reasons unknown, she agreed to marry uh, Nikifor Vlad Mjorkvich Blavatsky, who was in his 40s and was a governor. She <laughs> would claim that she had been attracted to him due to his beliefs in magic. However, just before the wedding, she tried to back out, but was not allowed. And they were married on July 7th in 1849. And they moved to Sardar Palace in Armenia. She did attempt to escape several times. Weird, right? <laughs> Just a little. I'm like, dude, she did marry a vampire. This guy is Vlad Depeche hiding. And he is in his 40s because he was in his 40s when he died. And... uh probably did believe in magic and she tried to escape because she's like oh fuck you're a vampire how do i get out of this that's the story i made up in my brain it's a good one (laughs) i I like it i think it's great um eventually she was allowed to return home and the plan was to meet her father in odessa accompanied by a servant and a maid Uh, but however now so her name is now blood spot blood whatever helena would claim that she fled her escorts and bribed a captain on a ship, and she eventually made her way to Constantinople. We talk about that place a lot. It's a really important place. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe we should, like, do an episode on it. I guess that would just be more of a history lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Constantinople, there's this show on Netflix called Rise of Empires, and this particular one, it's season two, is about the Ottomans, and it's about Mehmed II and Vlad Tepesh. Hmm. And it's pretty good. And the guy who plays Vlad Tepesh is kind of hot, so, you know, it makes it... Nice. It makes it, you know, when, yeah, when there's eye candy on the screen, it just makes it that much more interesting. (laughs) So she would spend nine years traveling the world and presumably, presumably... I didn't say that right the second time either. Uh, she was this, All these travels were financed by her father because, remember, she's only 17. She ain't got no fucking money. Yeah. The next 25 years of her life, there is little to no documentation as to what she was doing. Um, and then it was later suggested that what we do know were all what she said she was doing, and it's believed that much of it was embellished. Which, I mean, she's maybe she's still hiding from her husband, right? I don't know, honestly. Like, what's the deal? Like, I d- does d- he, don't was know. Was he just like, okay, you escaped? Like, it's fine. 
I'm gonna find you. <laughs> like I don't know. Um, so let me try to sum up this era of her life. Uh, she befriended a Hungarian opera singer, uh, Agar uh, Agardi Metrovich. Yeah, whom she saved from being murdered. She met a countess who went with her to tour Egypt, Greece, and Eastern Europe. In Cairo, she met um, an American whom she claimed to have visited a Coptic magician named Paulos Metamon. While visiting England, she said it was there that she met the Indian man whom she had been seeing visions of since her childhood. He was a Hindu man she referred to as Master Moria. After meeting him, she would follow his instructions and visited many different places seeking spirituality. She was unable to enter into Tibet due to the British control administration. She would later be allowed to enter, mm -hmm. like she would go back. She claimed to be a survivor of a shipwreck. She traveled around North America and back again. In 1858, she returned to her family who were living in uh, Poskov. And she states that like during all of this, her paranormal abilities enhanced. Ah, yes. Of course, yeah. She met up with Agardi and reconciled with uh, Nikifor in 1862. That's her husband. So like 20 years later, they get back together? What the And guess fuck? what? He's still 40. Shut because up. he's a vampire. <laughs> no, now she's just back because she's waiting for him to die. I love that you looked at me like, what? He is? No. He, I don't know. Um, no, like, I'm going, like, um, so it's pretty convenient. Like, your dad's probably, like, tapped out, and you're like, oh, I'm going to need money. Yeah. And he's, like, 60 now, so yeah, he's going to be dead soon. I, I don't know why. Yeah. So her and this uh, Agardi person, who is the Italian opera singer, they adopted a child named Yuri, who unfortunately died at the age of five the fuck okay in 1864 she fell from a horse and was in a coma for several months and suffered a spinal fracture okay. when she awoke she recovered and she claimed that she had gained full control of all of her paranormal gifts all right Huzzah! all it took was a fucking spinal fracture you too can have paranormal gifts you just need to fracture said spine Please don't do that. I am being sarcastic. Okay, she spent significant time in Tibet meeting up with uh, Moria. She states that her, uh, her and Moria and his friend Master Kut Humi, that they taught her an ancient unknown language known as Senzar. There, she says, she translated a number of ancient texts. While there, the masters helped her gain further control over her gifts, including clairvoyance audience, telepathy, uh, controlling another's consciousness, dematerializing and rematerializing physical objects, and project astral bodies. Wow, that's quite the list. I mean, you know, I don't think everybody has all of those abilities. And to say that you do, I think I'm going to go with the whole, I think you're fabricating some shit. Like, maybe you had one or two, but anyway. Uh, did, 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 did. She states uh, that she was here with them from 1868 to 1870. So, like, two years, three-ish years. 
When she left Tibet, she was on a mission to prove spiritualism real during claims that, you know, it wasn't. Because, you know, this was the time where everybody was trying to debunk spiritualists. Right, right. Like, yeah, all like over. Houdini and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. While on a trip to Egypt, the ship she was on in July of 1871 exploded. Sorry. And she was one of 16 survivors. What luck. Two shipwrecks surviving. Wow. I know, right? She eventually made it to Cairo and met Emma Cutting, who established a spiritual society founded by Alan Kardec. Eventually, she would come to believe that Cutting and many other so-called mediums employed by the society were actually frauds. And she closed the society within two weeks because of her claims that they were fraudulent. Cutting will come back later. All right. Yeah. She met up with Metrovich one last time because he soon died of typhoid. More traveling, she met with a writer, Lydia Paskova, who can actually provide an account of Helena. Because, yeah, you know, she yeah. was a writer. She was. She wrote shit down. She was taking notes. <laughs> she put words to paper. Um, on orders of Moria, she traveled to New York City on July 8th of 1873. She was interviewed by Anna Ballard of The Sun, and she tells her first stories of her travels in Tibet. It was around this time that her father died, and she inherited some much-needed moolah. So there was still money. Although she had three siblings, or so, two siblings, yeah. whatever. So she had to split that shit, whatever. Technically, she never divorced her first husband because he's a vampire, Right. And in 1874, she met uh, M- Michael uh, Bettinelli, who became infatuated with her and requested her marriage over and over like a stalker. Eventually, much like the first, she relented but refused to consummate the marriage, pissing him off, and he sued for divorce, and that was that. Well then. Homegirl wouldn't put out after he put a ring on it. So he took the ring off I mean, of it. I mean, she was technically already married. I so know. Yeah. Like, whatever. Maybe it's one of those things where it helps to be married to a vampire. He don't give a fuck. Can't come out in the day. You just leave him over there. You come over here. It's fine. No, I'm married. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I'm sorry. It's just, it's like the, it, it's the story of this story is his vampire name husband. is Vlad and he lives in the Romanian area. And yeah. refuses to let her leave. <laughs> I just, you know, seems very Bride it's, of Dracula shit. It's a little suspicious. Yeah. So, this was the wonderful age of Victorian spiritualism and news travels. Two brothers, William and uh, Horatio, I think I put an N on that, Eddie from Vermont, were becoming known for their ability to levitate and manifest. It was 1874 when she visited the brothers, and there she met a reporter for the Daily Graphic named Henry Steele Olcott. He was apparently impressed with Helena's own abilities and wrote an article about her as well. Ooh, yeah, yeah, get that press. Through him, he brought her a large audience with a newspaper article and mentioned her in his book on spiritualism called People from the Other World, which was published in 1875. Helena encouraged him to absorb her own occult beliefs, which included celibacy, teetoting, which I don't actually know what that is, and veg- drinking. Thank you, and vegetarianism, which Helena herself was not a vegetarian. 
possibly celibate because you know she got a husband that she ain't sleeping with because he's you know over there and uh she married a second time but wouldn't sleep with him i'm just saying maybe she thinks it'll mess with her psychic abilities all that penetration (laughs) she's just poking holes in it (laughs) oh man okay um so this duo did many things together uh, such as creating a publication called the Spiritual Scientist. They called themselves the Brotherhood of Luxor, which everything always goes back to Egypt. Like, did Egypt invent all spirituality? Because I think the answer to that is no. But, I mean, I'm obsessed with Egypt as well, but I'm not like, I don't know. I think mine's for different reasons, I guess. I think it was just <clears throat> at the time is when they were discovering all of the stuff in Egypt. Like, it was big. When was Tutankhamun found? Um, we must know. These are important things. Speaking of finding in Egypt, this uh, former lawyer, now paleontologist. Is that what they're called? No, those are dinosaur people. It doesn't matter. Um, 1922. Oh, so yeah, kind of. Which he was one of the last, though. And that's yes. what I'm saying. So they were out doing, you know, they were digging and excavating and, you know. Doing all these all things. The, all the stuff was happening in Egypt. And so I think that's probably why it became part of this, because it's this whole. So this woman has been searching for Cleopatra's tomb for like the past mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. And yeah. she is convinced that she is buried in um, this called the Temple of Isis, which is not in Egypt. It's actually south of Egypt, or what would be Alexandria at the time of Cleopatra's mm-hmm. death. Yeah. But in the last year, they have found tunnelways underneath, and they've cleared a majority of them out because they were filled with water. And they have found coins with her likeness on them and other... Um, members of Cleopatra's family, mm-hmm. they believe were, you know, because what was her family's name now? I can't remember. I don't remember. It's weird. It's, it's too early. Anyway. Um, anyway, so they think they may have found or they're on the way to find where Cleopatra is buried. And then I just, I love people on TikTok when we talk about these things because they are very like, Cleopatra said, you will never find me. Ptolemais. She was a Ptolemy. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, so if they find her, I wonder if they'll find, uh, what's his face? Mark Antony as well. Although I doubt they were buried together. Yeah. That seems more like a story. Yeah. No, I don't think they were buried together because I mean, I don't think Augustus was that nice. No, I don't either. No. All right. This isn't a story about her though. So, uh, the things that this duo did, the Brotherhood of the Luxor, they debunked other spiritualists. Then they established a club they called the Miracle Club. Aside from the Brotherhood, there's a Miracle Club. Uh, and then during one of their meetings on September 7th in 1875, the pair with Irish Spiroshorsh, say that 10 times fast, William Quan Judge and Charles Southern, they organized the Theosophical Society. Again, say that 10 times fast. This society combined Greek Theos combined the Greek theos meaning gods and Sophia meaning wisdom so gods of wisdom they that that's the I guess that's considered etymology right they were to function as a bridge between the east and the west and an un oh man I can't I can't read this fucking like 
font that I use. It's hard. It's I would, yeah, that's not a font <laughs> I would pick. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, an unsecretarian body uh, who seeks after truth, who endeavors to promote brotherhood and strive to serve humanity. To study and it looks like it says a liquidation of occultism, Kabbalah, etc. Their seal included the uh, suwastika, which is not the swastika. The suwastika faces right, mm-hmm. um, and it symbolizes night or tantric aspect, aspects of Kali or the hin- the Kal- or Kali, the Hindu goddess of power, time, and destruction. It included the star of David, an Ankh, an Om, and an Ouroboros, which is the snake eating its tail. And the alm is, you know, think yoga, alm, that kind of thing. Okay, great. Now that we got that, because I was like, there's a swastika on it. Oh, no. But I'm like, Julie, don't panic. The swastika's been there for a long time before the Nazis. Let's yeah. look into that. <laughs> and then, and then because the Hitler used the one facing. Right. The one yeah. way, and she used the other. Okay. I mean, he did take it from this stuff, though. He did, yeah, because he was super into the occult. All right. In 1875... She began working on a book which outlined the theosophical worldview. Much of this book would be written in Ithaca, New York, (laughs) uh, which was home to Hiram Corson, a professor of English literature at Cornell. And I'm going there tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going there to take photos because the... There's a there's this one building that's like all old Gothic architecture, mm-hmm. which is super cool. It's because not that far. Waking up super early to do this. I'm gonna wear a wig. It's gonna be awesome. Fantastic. Okay. Fan fucking tastic. So uh, she wanted to call the book "The Veil of Isis," but it was published as "Isis Unveiled." And during this, Helena states that a second consciousness awoke within her and inspired much of the writing. Disputes against the book was that it quoted other texts, but Alcott swore that she was quoting books that she had no access to nor had ever read. The book describes her idea that the world's religions all stem from a single ancient wisdom, which she connects to Western esotericism. That sounds like I'm saying terrorism. Whatever. Um, Of ancient... uh, Hermeticism and Neoplantocism. So there's that hermetic stuff again. She argued that uh, the Darwin evolution deals only with the physical world and ignores the spiritual realm. And despite negative criticism, the book sold out in one week, Crazy. which was only 1,000 copies. And Helena declined a second publication because well, they offered to publish it again, and she said no. That's interesting. But yeah. Okay. But she sold all 1,000 unless she bought all 1,000 herself. Because <laughs> back then she had probably money. probably why she said no. She's like, I don't have another. I don't have money I, I to buy the that. second run. So yeah, right. No. And you know what I noticed is that all of these people just started publishing companies. Like it was the easiest fucking thing in the world to do. Is it that easy? You have money. <sighs> okay. So the society established. Am I on the right page? Look, I numbered my pages so this shit doesn't get like, okay. The society established links with an Indian Hindu reform movement, the uh, Arya uh, Samaj, believing that the two organizations shared common spiritual worldviews. Helena and Olcott eventually moved to India. 
Olcott secured a job working as a U.S. trade representative, and they arrived in Bombay in February of 1879 and were greeted with celebrations. Uh, the duo felt more associated with the um, Indians that lived there than with the governing British elite, and, and because of this, took a 15-year-old, uh, his name was Babula, uh, as their servant. Because, you know, why? You respect this country so much I respect them so much I'm, I'm gonna, gonna make, make yeah yeah it makes sense right because that's, that's what you cool. do um so many were impressed with her championing of uh you know Indian religion during a period of India's growing and self-assertion against the British Empire who was currently ruling them but she was also thought to be a Russian spy because everybody's a fucking spy back then Helena claimed that masters were speaking to her telepathically and went into underground tunnels where the masters were. They met with Babu Surdas, who had sat in lotus position for 52 years. Fucking hell, my hips are crying just thinking about that. Yep. They traveled, they traveled more, uh, started a monthly magazine called The Theosophist, met with other spiritualists, Manifest phenomenon, and in May of 1880, they were converted to Buddhism and were the first from the U.S. to do so in Ceylon by Buddhist monks whom had invited them there. Helena was invited to Simla and there performed different phenomena, including making a cup and a saucer materialize under the soil during a picnic. Are you sure she didn't just, you know, slide one under? Right? It's like, there it is. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, a cup and a saucer. Look what I've done. It's so random, too. I know. So during a communication with uh, the masters, the uh, Mahatma letters were wrote, and these teachings were summarized in a book, Esoteric Buddhism, but was noted these contents were not actually Buddhist. India's English language presses continued to paint theosophy in a negative light because the British colony, admin, uh, colonial administration, and Christian mis missionaries disliked the teachings. So basically, they were using what printing presses that were in India as prop, like making you know negative propaganda against her because they were trying to Christianize right. the country. Which and she was, yeah, yeah. So she was somebody who was popular and was trying to teach, or I guess, I guess she was she was an advocate for Buddhism and uh, Hindu and not so much Christianity. And that's okay. not what they were trying to right. do there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't work anyway. So right. So. Uh, nevertheless, Helena was popular throughout the country. Olcott decided to establish the Buddhist Education Fund to combat the spread of Christian faith in Ceylon and to encourage Buddhism. So her and this guy, Olcott, are, they're, they're doing their best to help fight against this kind of colonization that is attempting to occur. Mm -hmm. uh, she was diagnosed with Bright's disease, which is essentially kidney disease. She left India hoping that maybe different weather would help her condition. Olcott convinced her to move back to Britain, which she did. Um, there was an argument with two members of the society, which caused one member to leave, calling Helena an unbearable, snobbish woman. And while in London, she contacted the Society for Psychical Research, 
and, and, then, and complied to a request to undertake a study of her and her abilities. She was not impressed and would mock them, eventually calling them the Spookical Research Society. <laughs> That's great. Because they're not really that great, I guess. Like, it's, yeah. Um, then so there's what would be known as the Colombo Affair. Her early travels to Egypt, she met Emma and Alex and had helped them when they had become stranded in Sri Lanka, bringing them to Bombay and housing them and helping find employment for them. When Helena eventually, you know, Helena eventually moved back to Britain, uh, the Theo, Theo Society's board accused Emma Colombo of misappropriating their funds for her own purposes and was asked to leave. Instead, they tried to blackmail Helena with letters they claimed were written by Helena claiming to be a fraud. This didn't work, and the society told her basically to fuck off, and they were still kicked out. The Christian College magazine published these letters and was eventually published by a London paper, The Times. In 1884, Helena went to Cairo, and another Theo searched and found information on Emma of previous fraudulent behavior. However, after this, the society was damaged, but it still continued to grow, so... Scandal. Yeah, Helena never wrote these letters, but, you know, it gave, you know... Yeah. Again, you know, this Christian ideology, a reason to make her look bad in yeah. public. In 1885, while living in Naples, she wrote The Secret Doctrine. In December of that year, uh, the, the SPR, which is the Society for Psychical Research, public, published a scathing article based off of the Emma shit, which I just talked about, which caused more tension and many people to leave the society. In private letters, Helena wanted to sue... Emma, but Olcott advised against it and asked that the focus stay on her and not the matters uh, where she was asked to remain unnamed. In 1986, however, the SPR retracted this article and its findings. In 1986. It was written, like, in 1885. <laughs> so, a little late, like but years. okay, it's fine. So, more drama in the society, because there's a theme with these societies as well. More drama in the society, and the person she chose to run it, she decided to establish the Blutzlafi. I'm like, why can't I say her name? Blutzlafsky Lodge in London, bringing with it most of the members. She created a group within a group controlled only by her, meaning she chose who the members would be, and they would be less about the paranormal and more about the philosophy. She founded a magazine called Lucifer and finished her book, The Secret Doctrine, which no one would publish at the time. She, so she, because it wouldn't be published, she established the Theosophical Publishing Company because that's what you do. You're not going to publish my book? Well, fuck you. I'm going to go start my own publishing company, and now all of my trashy romance novels will be published. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be a great idea, and I'd call it True Romance. <laughs> Believe me when I tell you there's plenty of them out there. I know, you I know. I really don't need to add to the... <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, like, this was specifically for, like, her stuff. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, what ridiculous thing could I write? It'd be like, never mind. Okay. Like, so the book outlines her own, uh, why do I write these big words in this fucking font that I have a hard time saying? Because I'm slightly stupid, I think. Um... So her book outlines her own 
cause her own ideas of the universe, the planets, the human, the human species, uh, souls, and the afterlife. And on the afternoon of May 8th of 1891, Helena died of influenza. Uh, Theos, meaning like the people of the society, call it White Lotus Day, and she was cremated on May 11th. I have no idea where her remains are, unlike where Aleister Crowley's are, which ended up in fucking New Jersey. <laughs> so that was random. That's one of my favorite parts of that story, it's though. So random. He's in Jersey because some Jazzy. dude bought them. Yeah, maybe. Basically. Like some dude was like, you know. I, yeah, I don't. So. Helena has been cited as an influence on the New Age movement during the 1970s, has been deemed the most important figure in modern times, a central figure of the 19th century occult revival. The theosophy was able to appeal to women by de-emphasizing the importance of gender and allowing them to take on spiritual leadership equal to men. There's also arguments that the Theo idea contributed to Nazi ideology due to like critical race theory. However, all of everything that she wrote came well before uh, Nazism and it's not really fair to blame her for the way that somebody interpreted right yeah. something else. So uh, biographer Peter Washington said this Blatzlavsky talked incessantly in a guttural guttural voice sometimes uh, wittily and sometimes crudely. She was indifferent to sex, yet frank and open about it. Fonder of animals than people. Welcoming, unpretentious, scandalous, capricious, and rather noisy. She was also humorous, vulgar, impulsive, and warm-hearted, and didn't give a hoot for anyone or anything. And I'm like, this is my type of bitch. Like, <laughs> she could hang out with me any day, although she probably wouldn't want me to hang out with her, but it doesn't matter. So that's that is the story of Helen Blaslavsky. And if you don't know who she is, you should probably look her up because her book, um, The Secret Doctrine, I, it has been republished since her death and is like uh, an important piece of literature, like in occultism. So um, plus everything else that she did, I thought, you know, was really cool how she looked to the East. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And was inspired by them. And then, you know, helped them to try to keep their religion intact, which worked clearly. I mean, I'm not saying she was the only person, but, no, but she like, was there as like an ally to help them. Yeah, she was definitely on the Which was, the right I thought side. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my story this week. And then, yeah, we have some long stories and then we have some short stories we're kind of reformatting how we do stories every week also what we, i forgot to mention we've made oh, yeah, it to 50, 50 episodes this is 51 this is 51 holy fucking shit i know it's we've crazy been, we've been doing this over a year and have 50 episodes excellent yeah it's excellent yeah amazing and i'm excited for next week so i'm gonna have something awesome yeah so and it sucks because it definitely should be for this week, but based on timing, but it's just not happening. Uh, that's so. okay. It's, it's better fine. to do it right than to have the timing line up. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Anyway, so. I now have to go get groceries. And oh. our husbands are going on a, a mandate date. They are. They have a mandate. It's really fun. Isn't that cute? Yeah. I wonder who's going to buy dinner. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you think they'll but they'll be flowers? 
a certain kind of flower, maybe. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. So, that's it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And your moms love you. Bye.